Hi, again, church. Um, who misses those old songs? Even the key change there. Well done, band. Did you hear the key change? When last did we do a key change in church? Maybe 10, 20 years ago. I do remember uh, before we had a decent band like we have today, um, we had practiced this key change of the song all week. And uh, we eventually got to that moment like there was there and this, and then everything just kind of uh, pulled out. I'm going and I'm looking back and shame our bass player at the time was staring at his chords and just touching the guitar strings. The, the other keyboardist was trying to figure out where to transpose. Uh, anyway, so we've come a long way since then, but that, that, that was beautiful, amazing. How's everybody doing? You all good? Nice to see a, a full church today. It's a good day to be alive. It's Easter season and really is a time, I believe, not to mourn, but to remember, uh, but also to celebrate. Really, it's a time to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And we'll tell you a little bit about that side there in a moment. Um, but also just to say that next week, very excited, we are having an old friend of mine uh, speak at church. Some of you may remember him from like CBR Bible College days. He went and he planted a church in Tortola in the British Virgin Islands, and now he plasters a church in Canada. And Yaku Marie is going to be with us next week. Who knows? Some of you guys know Yaku Marie. Okay, there's quite a few of you here. Um, he was a huge influence on my life um, in, in my early years and just such a beautiful man. And uh, we might even do a song together. We spoke about it next week. We used to lead worship together sometimes. So, but I want to start by telling you a story. Um, uh, probably not something uh, I'm proud of. I don't think, it, you know, but pastors are meant to be vulnerable as well, but um, my mom and all her sisters at some stage would always have a, a tin of condensed milk in their pantry. Who always has a tin of condensed milk in their pantries, okay? Um, but they're very tempting uh, when they're there. They're meant to be used for, I don't know, like a, a lemon meringue or something like that. But my, my cousin and I, Andrew Slevin, I'll just burn him right there, throw, throw in the name. We were at their house and we were feeling uh, like something sweet. There were no chocolates in the house like there are uh, in today's world. I mean, a chocolate was a rare, uh, you know, it was a rare commodity. You hardly ever got those things. And we were just feeling like uh, something sweet. So we went into the pantry and we saw there was a tin of condensed milk. And we thought, well, if we ask, we're not going to get. So we will steal. And uh, we waited for her not to be looking. And, and we grabbed this thing. I don't know who grabbed it uh, first. And, and we literally snuck out and then ran out the house all the way to the back end of the farm to the scrapyard. We went up into the rafters and we, uh, we, we like punched holes. We took the tin open as well. We punched holes. And you know when you suck each side of that condens, we had the whole thing. But then we felt so sick. And I, I don't know to this day if my aunt uh, Val ever found out. She probably did because my mom and all her sisters kind of have an inventory of things and they know when something is missing. Even if a teaspoon goes missing in this church, my mom will know. So don't ever think of taking one. <laughs> she, she's nodding because she knows. Uh, anyway, so I stole something. Uh, not proud of it, um, but I'm sure all of us have stolen something at some point. We won't ask for a show of hands because we should all be guilty. We all have stolen something. Even probably when you're two years old, you wouldn't even realize, but you stole your friend's sucker or your sibling's sucker, I don't know. But we are starting an Easter series um, today over the next three weeks called The Three Nails. And we're going to be looking at some imagery around not necessarily three specific titles, especially because we've got a guest speaker next week, but th there, there are so many things in the Bible that works in threes. 
And today we're going to be looking at uh, three thieves. Well, actually, sorry, two thieves and one not a thief. Sorry about just you know, the one definitely isn't a thief. That's Jesus. <laughs> but uh, three people uh, on a cross. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some things that the, the nails on the cross represent for us. Where some of us... Um, should have been rejected, but we gained acceptance. Where we should have been condemned, but we gained grace. Where we, we should have got death, but we get life. And uh, uh, prior to Jesus coming, uh, there were these laws. And I think those of you who are reading the Bible in a year with us um, are probably becoming more and more grateful every single day that we don't live in those days. I mean, like, people got stoned all the time. <laughs> people died for the craziest things. They did things wrong, and they, 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 was, they, they died. Um, we, we just got to the place in Numbers where uh, Korah got swallowed up uh, in the earth, you know. It was like some crazy stuff happened back then. And I'm just grateful that we don't live in those days. But one thing we need to understand for us to experience the good news of what this season represents, the good news of Jesus, we have to understand that we are all guilty of breaking God's laws. We are all guilty of breaking God's laws. At some point, at some stage, sometimes every day, but we are all guilty in some way. So if someone who steals, what is the name for that person? They're a thief. So I was a thief. Okay, anyone else want to put up their hand and say that they were a thief at some stage? If you have lied before, you're a liar, okay? Um, I know uh, kids, when your parents tell you you're a liar or you lied, it, it's not something nice that, that, you know, to kind of admit to because we battle with taking responsibility. But we all at some stage have to take responsibility and recognize who and what we are and what we've done. Welcome to church where we make you feel encouraged, but we will get there. There is good news, I promise. But we have to understand. For us to experience the good news, otherwise it's not good news if we don't understand we have, that we've done something wrong and that we needed a savior. It's, it's not good news because why would we need it? James 2 says this. This is Jesus' half-brother. He says, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. This is in the New Testament. If you keep all the laws except one, it's like you've broken all of them. So if one time you have cheated in life, if one time you have lusted, if one time you have told a lie or gossiped or coveted or judged, it's like we've broken all the laws. I don't think I need a show of hands, but every single one of in this, us in this room today at one time have done something wrong. We're all in agreement. Let's just nod so we don't have to put up a hand. Are we all in agreement here today? Okay? Because then we can actually go somewhere when we acknowledge this. One of the things as parents and uh, us, we, we try and teach our kids, when there is an argument or a disagreement of sorts, we're trying to teach them that um, the best thing to do is take responsibility. Because normally, well, it takes two to tango, right? There's a saying. Maybe someone started it. Maybe someone is 99% wrong, but I've been trying to teach them, yes, but there's, and they don't like it, but maybe there's something that you said or, or did to aggravate or you could have done differently, and you've got to take responsibility for that. And at, in most instances, when there's a disagreement of sorts, even within a spouse, there, there is like taking ownership on either side, even if you are 5% wrong. 
You go, you go okay, okay, I see that, I understand that, sorry for that. Are you all with me? Um, very rarely is like someone 100% uh, in the wrong and 0%, you know, uh, sorry, the other way around. Like very rarely is there someone that is perfect, does everything right, and the other person is 100% wrong. One of the things that the Bible tells us about the consequences to the wrong things we do is pretty hectic. It says in Romans 6, 23, and I'm just going to read the first half now, the wages of sin is death. It's not, it's not a nice word, right? It, 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 it's, the wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, because one day we're all going to die, um, and that's the consequences of our, of our sin. We thankfully get an eternal body one day, but there's also death within all aspects and areas of our life. There's, there's spiritual death that takes place. There's emotional death that takes place. The wages of sin is death. I promise you, I will get to some good news a little later. But we all deserve death. And in the Old Testament, there were consequences for actions, and the people had to make sacrifices. Something has to die. It's, it's justice, okay? Some, someone has to take the, 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 the consequence. It's like in law today. If you commit a crime and you get tried for it, there is a consequence and you will have to take the consequence, whether it's paying a fine or whether it's even going to jail. I heard that, is it Oscar Pretorius? I think he's ready for parole or something like that. I don't know if anyone's read that recently and it's quite crazy, but I think he's been in jail like about eight years already. Um, but he had to pay the consequences for his crime. I know some people think it should be longer, whatever it is, but there was a consequence. It doesn't matter who you are. I know in our country there are some people getting away with murder and things, but there theoretically should be a consequence to the crimes that we commit. However, the good news is because of a savior, we get to experience grace. And that's why the season of Easter is so special. We know that it's not the actual time that Jesus died because uh, our Easter holidays and Easter series and time goes according to the, the moon festival, actually. That's why it varies every year. But it is a time where we're just going to choose to remember what Jesus did for us as well as celebrate what Jesus did for us. So the series, The Three Nails, over the next three weeks is going to be looking at that. And today I want to just look at three people that were crucified. Um, two of them were thieves, not three. One was not a thief. And uh, today's message is we deserve death, but he gave us life. We deserve death, but he gave us life. So I want to pick up the story where we look at the crucifixion and what actually happened there. And we'll go into more depth in a, in a couple of weeks' time on Easter Sunday. But Luke 23, 32 says this. Two other men, both criminals, so they had obviously done something wrong, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, now skull uh, some version of the Bible says Calvary, which basically, I mean, it's not a nice place, right? The, the place of death, Calvary, the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, just briefly, without going into too much detail, um, there were many ways to execute people in those days, but crucifixion was the most horrendous. It was the most painful. Uh, it was the most uh, publicly humiliating, and in actual fact, it also was the most expensive because they needed four Roman soldiers and a centurion to actually make it happen. So they really went to a big effort when someone was crucified to really uh, kind of make a point out of something, that these people are going to be uh, crucified, you know, because of what they've done. It, it, it was hectic, okay? It was reserved for really, really bad people, 
uh, to make a public mockery of them, it was also reserved for people, for them to experience extra pain. So like in us, you know, when we watch these serial killer type documentaries on Netflix and um, you, you, it's amazing how we should have grace for people, but sometimes we really want people to suffer. You know what I'm saying? There's that, that part of us, you know, that is in us. And in this instant, these people, they wanted them to experience extra pain, okay? They were often stripped naked. They were put up on a cross and uh, with nails, some people say it goes through the hands. Others say that it would actually have to go through here because um, if it wasn't through here, they would actually, it would rip through. They would, uh, you know, come off the cross if it wasn't through here. These weren't the nails that you buy at Builders Express, you know, the little ones that uh, we kind of, you know, knock something together with. These were massive, massive nails, pretty thick. They, I mean, they went through with an absolute thud and it would have been one there, one there, and the, the, the two legs would cross over, they would push it through here and it would come out the back of the heel. Right now, you're really like feeling the pain, right? Okay. And uh, they would be, uh, you know, pulled up in the sun all day. And the, the way that you'd actually die wasn't from the pain of the nails or, or, you know, hanging there, but it was actually through suffocation. Um, you, it would take sometimes people up to 12 hours to die or even longer. They would hang on this cross all day and they would, um, you know, they would put sometimes even a little like um, ledge there just to give you enough hope to feel like you could keep yourself up. But I mean, some of us stand in a queue for half an hour and we, we feel tired. We're looking for a chair to sit down. Some of you husbands go shopping with your wives and you try and find a, a chair in every single store. Who are you? <laughs> okay, you, you, you're on a cross, you're hanging there in the sun. Um, people have uh, whipped you, thrown things at you, spat at you, mocked you, and you're hanging there on a cross trying to keep yourself up. And as you would kind of, out of the weakness in your body, you know, fall down, you, you, you would try and pull yourself back up and eventually you would die of suffocation because you could not hold yourself up any longer. A horrible, horrible way to die. And Luke 23, 39 says this, one of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at Jesus because the crowd were all doing that. They were mocking him, actually. Oh, Jesus, the king of the Jews, you know, look at you now kind of thing, swearing at him, mocking him, teasing him, saying, oh, you know, why don't you get yourself off the cross? And one of the criminals joined in, not so wise. And then he, almost, he says he mocked at him, he insulted him. He says, aren't you the Messiah? You know, save yourself and us. But the, um, the other criminal on the other side rebuked him, said, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. From a spiritual perspective, I'd like to suggest to all of us today that we are all one of these two thieves. Maybe not in extremes, but we are either or. We don't know the names of these thieves. We don't know where they came from, came from, what they did. But I just would like to look a little bit more at what they said and how we can identify with this today. Okay, so the, the one thief in 39 says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Okay, save yourself and us. What we see in this particular thief, we, we, we see maybe arrogance, we see pride, we see anger, he was critical, uh, had an entitled mindset. Well, save, save yourself and then save me too. Meanwhile, he's mocking him. Um, we see no fear of God. 
there's no recognition for a need of a savior because, I mean, not the wisest thing to say if he was God, you know, to hurl insults at God just before he died. Um, and if we make it more to terms today, you, you see a lot of people like that in the world. Maybe even some of you here today. It's like, I, I don't know if I need God. I don't recognize my need for God. I'm, I, I've got this on my own. I'm gonna die here on my own. Um, many people still mock Christians or mock, uh, you know, Jesus or kind of feel like even the fact that you came to church today, some people still, they might not say it as much because we don't live in a hugely persecuted society in this country, but they might think it like, oh, shame, you know, need a bit of a crutch, you know, and there's many people like that. Maybe even you here today where you you felt like, "I, I don't need God. Maybe even the fact that you're coming to church today is just to check a box. And I would call that first thief unrepentant, unrepentant. I'm good. I'm good on my own. I don't need God. Then we look at the other one. In verse 40, he says, don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are all punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. The thief, the second thief, you can see a fear of God, a respect of God. He was broken in that moment, I think he was humbled in that moment. He realized what he had done. He had taken responsibility. He was also pretty desperate because he realized perhaps that there was more to life than just this side. He saw his need for God and his need to potentially be forgiven. He hadn't walked with God, but it was only right then in that moment he recognized his need for a savior. And I would like to suggest that he was repentant. So you get someone who's unrepentant and you get the other who is repentant. This guy took responsibility. He calls out to Jesus. And something that's worrying me a lot in recent years, particularly as a pastor, is the fact that 20 years ago, um, we saw within church people recognizing their need for a savior a lot more recognizing their need that they needed someone to save them because they were sinners. They were, that's wrong. I I need to repent. But something that I'm seeing, and it's a current trend across the world, and uh, even mom sent an article this morning on our family group about kids. But there's this entitlement thing that's happening, and it's even translating into our spirituality where, well, that's not wrong. It's, It's who I am. I can do whatever I want. It's not really sin, is it? It's the way I was born. I'm not a bad person, and who are you to judge anyway? I read something on Facebook today, actually, where, I don't know, there was a story around someone like really using bad language, and he's a Christian kind of thing, and you know, people are saying, who are you to judge, you know, and uh, you know. It's, it's crazy because there's all this justification and all this not taking responsibility and it really is worrying me and we start to compare ourselves with people around us. Well, I'm not as bad as. Maybe nudge the person next to you and say, I'm not as bad. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that now in church today. But we often do that. I'm not as bad as and we reference ourselves with other people who maybe have made poorer decisions than us or are worse off than us. And we try in the hopes to let that absolve responsibility for ourselves. I remember even at school days, I had a lot of friends that used to kind of have a go at me or, or, or try and make me do something wrong because then it would, 
in their mind, it was like, well, if Hilton does it, then, it's, then, I, then I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I still have people trying to get me drunk. <laughs> you know, I've never been drunk in my life. I don't really plan to. Um, and, and not that I have any issue with alcohol. I have a glass of wine or whatever. But I just never have been. Um, so I just want to keep it that way. But there is this trend to not take responsibility for our own actions. And we're seeing it increasing across the world today. Like, I'll do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. And that really, as a pastor, is a challenge because we're not here to judge people and tell you what to do, but at the same time, God's given us responsibility to shepherd you and to guide you and to lead you. But we're even finding, and um, even with pastoring some young people uh, in today's world, right here, even in our church, where some people are like, well, who are you to judge me? Well, I'm not judging you, but actually the Bible speaks about that we should hold our brothers and sisters accountable, those who are in the faith. And I'm not saying we are aggressive about it or, you know, just tuning people about it, but if, if you've entrusted yourself to us as shepherds and there is something in your life that isn't according to God's word, I think you should welcome and should want people to speak into your life. Otherwise, where, where are we going to end up if it's like, no, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. And we would never just come and impose ourselves on you and say, this is what you need to do. But at the same time, if you're going, of course, our hope is that your heart would be open to say, well, could you lead me back? Could you help me understand something? It's never nice to kind of be told the truth. (laughs) Sometimes we know the truth hurts, but we need the truth. And I'm just worried of a generation of people growing up saying, don't tell me what to do. I don't need it. And people are becoming more and more sensitive to their lifestyle choices and how they live their lives and being told what to do. Are you with me? I think it's a big problem and we need to be aware of that. And this guy says, don't you fear God? He had a concept of who God was. He recognized in that moment that he was a sinner. He's like, I am guilty. And he recognizes sin. I wrote this down. Until you see yourself, this is prior receiving Jesus, right? Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. But then just before I came up here, I thought I better add this in because I would hate that to be misquoted. Now you say I'm gonna see myself as a sinner, no, no. But then I added this and it won't be up on the screen. Until you see yourself as a saint, you won't live like you met your savior. Let me read those two again. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. Until you see after that Savior, need, see yourself as a saint, you won't live like you met your Savior. So once Jesus sets us free and we are forgiven and recognize our need for God, then we live as saints, the Bible says. We see ourselves as that. We see ourselves making the right choices because we have been saved. When someone saves you out of the water, if you were drowning, you don't get out into dry land and start going, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. You you live like you've been saved, okay? We're not so good at sometimes recognizing that we are in the wrong. Anyone being pulled over for doing something wrong on the road, speeding fine or anything like that? Come on, let's just be honest. Anyone? Okay, quite a lot of us. You sinners. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I've been pulled over plenty. Okay, I'm not proud of it. Um, but one of the things I've learned over the years is as soon as you try and justify or argue with a cop, it's never going to work out, is it? An issue with my dad when he was younger. 
He would shout so much at the policeman that they would let him go. But they knew him in the area. Do you remember that? This was BC days. I promise you, we remember being pulled over the kids in the back. We were just like, he would just shout to go crazy. And then say, oh, Mr. Greg, just go. <laughs> but uh, I think that doesn't work uh, anymore. But one of the things that I've realized, and I'm not proud of it, because, and I, and I try not speed. Sometimes, uh, you know, just you don't know yet you are speeding. Um, but when I have been pulled over on the odd occasion, uh, one of the things I do is I, 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 I'm so sorry. I, I really am. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was speeding. It almost catches a lot of people off guard. Um, and then sometimes I tell them, uh, especially if they're Zulu, I tell them I'm Mfundis and Kolisa. And they're like, oh, Mfundis, why are you speeding? <laughs> so I said, hey, Mfundis, I shouldn't be. Um, and there have been so many times, just thankfully because of that, they've, they've let me off. But then the one time I, I was stopped by this uh, lovely Indian man down the south coast. And I told him that I'm sorry and I shouldn't be speeding. And also I'm a pastor. And uh, I really I do apologize. He said, you're a pastor. He says, I'm a part-time pastor myself. Now I'm going to find you properly. <laughs> it's like, that didn't work. <laughs> but what's interesting it's actually the repentant and the guilty who own it often are the ones that receive grace. Even within, if you, if you had to go plead your case within court for a speeding fine, if you just say, I'm so sorry, I, I was just late, I was rushing, the, the judge will be more gracious towards you. I've seen it. Even if you watch those law court cases where even you know, serial killers and people have done something hectically wrong, those that show repentance and remorse, they actually get off a little bit lightly. And I think there's something in that for us. But if you are arrogant and full of pride and just hanging on to, to yourself and not wanting to take responsibility like that other thief did, I think it causes a lot of trouble for you. So both thieves were guilty, right? Both were equally near to Christ. They were on either side of him. Both saw and heard what happened in those fateful six hours. They reckon at the sixth hour, the whole world, there was a God had orchestrated this. It was probably like a solar eclipse of sorts, but the whole earth went black for three hours and then it was only on the ninth hour that Jesus gave up his life. Both were suffering severely. Both were dying and actually needed forgiveness. One recognized his need and the other didn't. And I was thinking about this, even within church, maybe even here today. What saddens me is that you might recognize your need for a savior even here today, but there might even be someone here today who go, I don't know. I don't know if I need God. Maybe you're watching this online one day, or maybe you're not even in this building today, and I don't have the opportunity to even speak to you. But there's one that says, I don't need God. And unfortunately, in this world, church, there are many, many that don't need God. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But my hope and prayer today is that we would be part of the group of people that go, I need God. Because that person was transformed, healed, and set free. The second thief deserved death, but Jesus gave him life. Jesus forgave him right there on the cross. Look what happened here in Luke 23, 42. Then Jesus said, so after he had called out and told this other thief to basically shut up, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he says, Jesus Remember me when you, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I love us. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And what's amazing 
It was one moment of repentance. He didn't say a sinner's prayer like we do every Sunday. Repeat after me, Jesus said. And I'm not saying we don't have to do those prayers. But he caught it right then and there. He didn't have to do anything religious to make right with God. Right then and there, Jesus said, surely I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise because he saw his heart. He saw him being repentant, recognizing his need for a savior. And personally for me, growing up in quite a, a religious traditional church environment, this passage in Ephesians 2 was very freeing for me. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but if you haven't, look at what it says. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So when this thief on the cross just simply believed and recognized who he was next to on the cross, it says, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You see, this thief couldn't walk on the straight and narrow road that we encourage everyone to walk on because his feet were bound. This thief couldn't perform good works because his hands were tied. This thief couldn't turn over a new leaf and be a new person living here life to the full because he was dying and he was about to die. This thief couldn't even join a church because he couldn't get off the cross. It's by grace that we are saved. It's not the good things that we have done. And many of us still have that traditional mindset. If I do this, if I do that, even the fact that maybe if I come to church, then God's gonna love me more. I mean, we see a lot of people come to church during the Easter time because they're doing the right thing, the good thing. But it's so obvious. It's not the good things that we do. And I'm so grateful that Psalm 103.10 says this, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I'm gonna look a little bit at iniquities and the difference between the two um, transgressions and iniquities in a couple weeks' time. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, you can't calculate that distance. It's infinity. That's how far he's removed our sins from us. I love that. That was very freeing for me, getting to understand that. Or he says he remembers our sins no more. Church, we don't go to heaven because we are good, rather because he is good. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And it's all because of the third person on the cross, and that is Jesus, that we can experience this. Philippians 2, 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Basically, he humbled himself. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Can you just even imagine that for a moment? It's like, can you imagine you had all the money in the world, you're a king, but you choose to let that all go, I don't know, and go and live in India, in the slums for the rest of your life, knowing what you had and being humbled to that position. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a humble being, sorry, human being, all humble being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He was not a criminal, but he died a criminal's death for you and I. 
Instead of sitting on a throne, and we sang about that today, worthy is the lamb seated on the throne, all hail King Jesus. But then he was not on a throne, he was hanging on a cross. Instead of wearing a golden crown, he wore a crown of thorns that was beaten into his head. Instead of being surrounded by servants, he was surrounded by thieves. He was innocent and deserved to live, but for us, he was willing to die. He took on my sin, your sin, and said it is finished. And then the earth shook, the sky went dark, and even after he died, the people around him said, surely this is the Son of God because of the way that he humbled himself and died for you and I. But the exciting thing is we look at it in a couple of weeks is on the third day, the stone was rolled away and he rose again. And I said earlier that I shared the first half of that scripture in Romans. I wanna read the second half so at least we can have something exciting to think about today. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Yes, we all deserve that. But the scripture doesn't end there. The free gift of God. You see, it's not something that we can earn or deserve. It's a free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that incredible? That is something I think we should even celebrate right now here today. Why don't we celebrate that? Come on. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Because of Jesus, he doesn't treat me as sin deserves. He doesn't judge me according to my own actions, but sees the grace. Because of Jesus, we get offered grace. And last passage, and then I'm gonna end with the song I had on my heart, which we're gonna do over the next three weeks. Not the same song, but different song. 1 Peter 1 says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is such a powerful time of year, friends, as we remember what Jesus did for us, that because of Jesus, the resurrection of that, and maybe even today, you're not quite sure, understand exactly how that all looks and why did Jesus have to die. We'll explain it a little bit in, in a moment. But one thing you have to first understand is recognize your need for a savior, to take responsibility and say, God, I need you. I am nothing without you. That's all we need to do. And then receive his love, receive his grace, receive his forgiveness. Can we take a moment just to reflect? Close your eyes. And I just want you to think about what's been said today so far.
Many times I've wondered at your gift of life And I'm in that place once again And I'm in that place once again And once again I look upon the cross where you died Thank you for this um, moment today where we can just remember who you are and what you've done for us. As we look back, as we remember the power of the cross and what that represents to each and every one of us here today. God, I pray that none of us would ever be like thief one unrepentant, not recognizing their need for a Savior and a God, full of pride, arrogance, 
don't judge me. I'll live my life as I please. But God, that we would be repentant like the thief too. Recognizing our need for a savior, a respect and a fear of the Lord. Understanding what we deserved if it wasn't for you. That we get life because of you, Jesus. I really feel so strongly for some of us here today. You've never grasped that or understood that. But today there's a, there's a weight in the moment. There's the Spirit of God just depositing something in you today. Where you've done things wrong and you will continue to do things wrong. But as you recognize your need for a Savior today, that, that you're forgiven, that you're set free. It's so powerful. And receive that today as you take responsibility. And from today, it's such a beautiful story going forward as we live lives that are forgiven. Because then we can see ourselves differently. That we are a new creation. Our past is gone. It's been forgiven. And that not only one day do we spend eternity with Him in paradise, but here, this side of eternity, we can live life and life to the full because of that acknowledgement, that repentant heart. So God, today we repent. Even you pray that to Him today, Lord, I repent where I've got things wrong and I've tried to do things on my own. Forgive me today, Jesus. Help me understand and recognize my need for a Savior today my daily need for a Savior. Because if it wasn't for you, God, we would be nothing. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you've never recognized your need for a Savior, but you, man, like, I, I, I identify with that, that one thief and I've done things wrong and just today, you can even call out to Jesus, say, Jesus, remember me today. And he will. Thank you for your forgiveness, God. As you repent today, as you say sorry to the Lord, he forgives you and washes you clean and you can start a new day. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe let's just sing this last chorus together. And once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you. Once again I pour out my life. And once again I
Such a powerful word. Thank you, Hills. I just also think what happens is um, we forget because we don't often see Hilt leading in worship anymore, but the power and the anointing that's on his life when he, when he does that, there's just such a power. And so thank you. We need to see more of that, right? We really do. The next two weeks, yeah, we really do need to see more of that. So we really just, as Hilt was speaking about responsibility, I have to say um, that I've seen at work practically daily in my life where um, I, I was in a situation where I just really messed up. The moment I took responsibility, didn't matter what the percentage of wrongdoing was, I saw God just as Jesus on the cross. The moment that thief took responsibility, he was, the windows of heaven were open to reward and restoration. And I just want to encourage you on the back of that word that when we take responsibility for things that we've done, we, we open our lives to reward by God and restoration to the person, but also to our Father. And just want to encourage you, always take responsibility because you never know what opportunity that's going to open for, for your life. So what a powerful word. And again, help have already said thank you, but thank you so much again for that word. We just want to encourage you, next week we have Yaku Marie, as, as Hilt's already said. Um, I was on pastoral team with Yaku. He is absolutely phenomenal. I want to encourage you, make sure you bring somebody with you because there's also a powerful anointing on his life. And we're going to have an amazing duet next week um, with Hilt and Yaku. I tell you what, if it doesn't rip your heart out of your chest, then I really do not know. But just want to thank you for joining us online. God bless you. Have an amazing week and trust God's blessing on everything you set your hand to do. Amen. Amen.